Um, again, we're in this uh, series called The Story, and um, I have been so excited about being in this series. I hope you've been blessed with it. We've been spending time literally going from Genesis through Revelation, and just spending some time... Um, uh, kind of doing a Bible survey, a biblical survey, hitting on some of the, hitting on the main points, the highlights, and we haven't been going extremely deep. I mean, we could, man, we could spend obviously forever going deeper and deeper and deeper, which we'll continue to do that. But right now, we're just kind of taking this big look, this, this, this picture, this meta narrative of what God is doing through the story. And we see back in Genesis, real quick, back in Genesis, uh, He created everything and said it was good. And a couple chapters later, Genesis 3, everything goes south, uh, things ascend enters into the world and begins to wreak havoc on God's creation. God, out of his infinite love and wisdom and mercy, says, I'm not going to let it continue. I'm not going to just let it end this way. But he begins to roll out a process of salvation, a redemptive story. And that's what, we, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this redemptive story, this redemptive process, this restoring begin to take place where God is saying, I'm going to make all things new. And so as we look through the Old Testament, we see this story happening. We see how God brought the law to them to show to expose to man that, that without him, you're nothing. Without, without him, we can't have a relationship with, with God. But as we saw with, through the law, the law couldn't provide that relationship with God. God sends the kings. The kings couldn't do it. Uh, but all along, we, on, this, on, this, on this, this timeline, we see spikes and things being great. And then it kind of goes back down and, you know, and, and, and as such. And so we see... Um, we, we saw, we talked about the law, we talked about the kings, we're kind of now right in the prophets. Uh, the past few weeks we've talked about Elijah, we've talked about Ezekiel, we've talked about Jeremiah, today we're going to talk about Daniel. And, and look at the story of Daniel and how Daniel uh, ministered and prophesied in the time that he did. Um, but, but before we go, get into that, I, I want to share with you a story, an illustration that will help us kind of paint the picture and contextualize where we're going. In the 1950s, now, Someone in here has had to have heard of this story because we're batting zero. No one's heard of this story yet, and it kind of shocks me because it happened in our backyard. In the 1950s, there was a psychologist named Milton Rokish, something like that, uh, pronunciation, Milton Rokish, who had a plan, uh, an an eccentric plan, to take three psychiatric patients who had the delusion that they were Jesus Christ. And it happened in Ypsilanti. And the, and the story is, uh, it's called the Three Christs of Ypsilanti. How many have, has anybody heard of this? Well, we're batting a thousand percent. There is a book, uh, is, there is a published book. I don't know if you can still get your hands on this, but there's a published book of this story. And so what happened was, this psychologist brought these three individuals together, and they're called, the book's called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. And what he did was, at the Ypsilanti State Hospital, which I don't believe is there anymore, but what he did was, he took these three individuals who had these, this, this sense of grand delusion of being Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he took these three people and said, you know what, what would happen if we took these three individuals and put them together uh, in a room and did this for about two years, okay? And so he, he does that, and what happened was, was quite, I'm not going to go into great depth, but what happened was um, they came out about like they went in. They, were, they all still claimed their deity. Uh, comments were made. It didn't really turn out the way he thought it would. Uh, their, their, he thought that their beliefs would actually change at some point, but uh, they never did. Some of the meetings they would erupt into, someone yelling out to the other ones, hey, you ought to worship me. The other one would be like, I'm not worshiping you. You're just a creation. You're a creature. And, you know, uh, one would say, you better live your own life and wake up to the facts. Uh, another one would snap, no two men 
uh, no two men are Jesus Christ, I am the good Lord. And, the, and, and so this kind of just went on for two years and just kind of, I think he just threw up his hands and said, okay, my hypothesis didn't come out to be what I thought it would be. But that's a true story that took place. I tell you that to say this. Don't we often, don't you and I often live our lives as if we're at the center of this universe? Now, I doubt that anybody in here, maybe, maybe there's someone in here that, that, that has this, this illusion that you are the savior of the world, but, but I would say for most of us in here, we would say, yeah, I don't really say that. I don't really believe that I'm the savior of the world. I really don't have this messianic complex, this Messiah complex that I am at the center of this universe. But a lot of times, isn't that how we live our lives? You know, we engage with other people as such. You may not think so, but that's what you're doing to some of us others. We feel like we have to bow down and worship you or whatever. You know, we often live as if we're at the center of this universe. I remember growing up, my dad would roll that out on me as a child many times. He'd look at me and say, hey, you know what? You need to understand that the universe doesn't revolve around you. And I thought, you know what? As soon as you understand that it does, everything's going to be perfect, okay? Or be much better, right? He never did bow down to me, though. (laughs) He will one of these days when I put him in a nursing home, right? So, I'm just joking. I know, that's bad. That's bad. I've, thre- I've threatened my parents many times. Anyhow, let's move on. That's really horrible. Strike that one from the tape there. But, but don't, don't we all kind of, truth be known, don't we all kind of live in that state at particular times? And in this story that we're in today, what we're going to look at with Daniel and who he is prophesying to, who he was called to minister to, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's exactly who King Nebuchadnezzar thought he was. He thought he was at the center of the universe, that everything revolved around him, and we see that God had a different story. We see the meta-narrative being painted and the meta-narrative coming down and literally crashing into the life, into the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we've talked about this for months. We've talked about this for years, how at times we, we, we erect these false gods within our lives, and, and we have these false gods that we think can save us versus Jesus. But at the base of all of those false gods, at the base of all of that is us, is me, is you sitting at the center saying, I want it my way. I want it to be done the way I think it should be done. It's kind of like, you know, you flip over into James. James says the same thing. He says, you know the reason why a lot of you quarrel and you bicker and, you, and you're always going back and forth is because you want your own way and you don't get it. And he says that's the root of all of, all of our problems. Guys, that's the root of sin. Sin is this narcissistic view that says, you've got to do it my way. If you do it my way, everything is going to be okay, but everything's got to be done my way. It's, 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 it's sin is being extremely self-centered. King Nebuchadnezzar thought himself as God. Now, let me just share this, this contextualize it a little bit more for us. If you remember, we've talked about the nation of Israel. Uh, when it went south, uh, two, or ten of the tribes went north. It was divided into two kingdoms. Ten of the tribes went to the north and formed the northern kingdom. Two of the tribes went to the south to form the southern kingdom. God sent prophets to each of them to say, you need to turn from your ways because if you don't, I'm going to com- essentially I'm going to come in, I'm going to make you, I'm going to, I'll take care of it for you. Well, they ignored, the pro- they ignored all of them, they ignored the prophets, they scoffed at them, the word of God says. In one translation it says they, they called them idiots. And so with the northern kingdom, remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, God raised up a nation by the name of Assyria, and Assyria came in and literally devastated the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom watched this. They took note. 
And remember, King Hezekiah looked at this and he said, we've we got to purify ourselves because if we don't purify ourselves and do the things the way God wants us to do them, the same thing's going to happen to us. And so they were spared. And King Hezekiah, probably at the age of 25, he leads the southern kingdom. And during his life, the southern kingdom focused on God. And God's hand of blessing moved across the southern kingdom. Well, once King Hezekiah died, his son Manasseh took over. And Manasseh returned them to idolatry. Well, as soon as they went back into idolatry, God raised up a nation by the name of Babylon. And Babylon came over, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, came over and literally took the, literally laid devastation to them in three different waves. In the first wave, which happened about 605 BC, the Babylonians came in, they took all the leaders, they took all the cream of the crop, they took all the people with, with, you know, just the, 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 the royalty, if we could say. The second wave, 597 B.C., they came over and they took all the common people, more of the young, the strong, the people that were kind of like the workforce. In the third wave, this was the final wave in 586 B.C., they came in and it was the final wave in destruction of Jerusalem. And that's when they took most of everyone else. Daniel would have been taken in the first wave. He was considered part of the royalty. Now, as they were taken over to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar had set himself up to be one of these guys that needed to be worshipped. And if you remember that whole story, you've hopefully read that in your reading, but that whole story with Daniel going over with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar saying, you're going to worship me. You need to bow down to me. If you don't, I will kill you. And so we read that whole story how these four guys said, we're not doing that. We're not bowing down to you. But that's who King Nebuchadnezzar was. In fact, in Ezekiel, God speaks to this whole concept of people having this God complex. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2, he says this, in the pride of your heart, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but you are a mere mortal. And not a God, though you think you are as wise as God. Basically, the message is coming forth is saying, is saying this. There is a God, and you're not Him. There is a God, and you're not that God. Even though you think you are, even though you think that, 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 that you sit in my position, you're not who I am. You're not God. Guys, that's often we can relate with that. So often that's what we kind of do. We try to control things. We try to make things the way, you know, we, we try to sit in that seat of our lives or sit in that seat in the lives of others and we try to control things, whether it be our money, lives, people, whatever it is, we try to control this. And we have this increased tendency towards self-centeredness. That's what sin is. In fact, we define that as depravity, which says in any given situation, if we live in that state, that fallen state of depravity, we're going to sin. We're going to focus on ourselves. We're going to focus on that self-centeredness. That is where King Nebuchadnezzar was after he came in and took all these uh, people from Judah over to, to, the, to, to Babylon. Now, in Daniel 4, where we're going to pick up the story, This is what's very interesting, because when you read this next passage found in Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we read this and we're like, this doesn't make sense, because his life didn't look like this for the most part. But listen to these words. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's writing this, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. 
It is my pleasure. This is the king telling this. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs. How mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation... His, I'm sorry, excuse me. His uh, eternal kingdom, His dominion endures from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar is singing praises to God. He's saying, give God glory. God has revealed himself to me. God is seated on the throne. God is great. God is, I mean, he's just, he's writing these songs praising God. But, like I said, when you look at his life, if you looked at this verse after you looked at his life, you're like, you're thinking, who, there must be an error, whoever wrote this, whoever recorded this. Because King Nebuchadnezzar never lived his life like this. In fact, that's what I want to share with you. Because in Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Listen to the words, listen to what takes place. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying in bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And then in the next verses here, he describes it. He says, in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heavens. He called in a loud loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground and the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And here's the kicker of it. When he has this dream, he realizes it's not due from the spicy chili that he ate the night before. This dream terrified him. This is one of those moments where he's like, something's off. Something's not right. And so he begins to summon his council. He begins to summon all these people in his court to come and to interpret this dream, to come and interpret this message that he had from from, when he was asleep. And so he calls all of his counsel, he calls in his people, all the, you know, the ones that came, came, and they tried to interpret it, but they could not interpret it. And so he summons for Daniel, and Daniel comes, and Daniel interprets the dream. And in verse 25 of chapter 4, Daniel lays it out. And he says, King, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Daniel comes and says, hey, king, I don't have good news for you. I've got some bad news for you. And he says this, he says, you're going to live like an animal. You're going to be reduced down to an animal. You're going to eat grass like an animal. You're going to be, you're going to be like an animal. And until you understand one thing, until you get one thing straight, that's what it's going to be like. And that one thing you need to get straight is this. There is one God, and you're not it. God was very emphatic about putting this message out to King Nebuchadnezzar. Saying, King... I'm God, or there is a God, and you're not him. I'm God. And so Daniel rolls this out. Now, as we look at this, 
as we look at this passage and we kind of work through it a little bit, I want to ask you three questions because I think these three questions are questions that we can, we can pull out or extract from this story. And they're three questions that you and I, I think, need to spend some time and just kind of introspect with and I, or, or on. And I pray that during this time you would lean into this message because this might be something that God is communicating to us this morning to say, to, to ask us and to help us to work through and to think about this because otherwise we may be on the same trajectory as King Nebuchadnezzar where, God's going to be, where God is leaning into our life and saying, I've got to set something straight in your life. There is a God and you're not Him. I'm Him. And so this morning I, want to I just want us to think about three questions. Number one, what's my motivation? When you look at King Nebuchadnezzar's life, his motivation was all about him. When you go back and read the story, it is all about him. It was all about giving himself glory. It was all about his power. It was all about his control. It was all about his conquest. It was all about him. And our lives, our lives can become something like that at times too. It can become about us exalting ourselves where it's like, that is my motivation. That was King Nebuchadnezzar's motivation. It's all about me. I want myself to have the glory. I want myself to have the power. The second question is this. What's your source of strength? What's my source of strength? King Nebuchadnezzar said, it's all about me. It is all about me. In fact, in verse 30, listen to what he says. He says, is not this the great Babylon that I have built the royal residence as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Man, that is pretty audacious, isn't it? Holy cow. He's saying, is not the great... Look around. Is this not what I've done? Is this not all about me, my power and for my glory? This doesn't really sound too far off, does it? Because right before this, we read a story about, again, the northern kingdom, as I've already shared with you, with King Assyria. Do you remember King Assyria? When the king of Assyria came in and he laid waste to the northern kingdom, he turns and he begins to go south and he's going to conquer the southern kingdom. And he basically tells the southern kingdom, he says, who can stop me? I'm paraphrasing. Who can stop me? Has anybody, have you not seen my armies? Have you not seen who I am? Have you not seen me? What gods... And he basically, remember we said, he basically called the God of the southern kingdom out. He basically called God out, saying, who are you? I'll take on that challenge. And we read about that story where uh, the king of Assyria went back and he got his head cut off for it by his own people. What's our source of strength? We take all the glory. I get that some of us were sitting in here this morning and I doubt any of us would say, oh, that's what, exactly what I do. That's why I'm asking you guys to really lean into this to, and to, to allow the Spirit of God to just resonate with yours because the, I think there's times where, again, we, it's easy, it's so subtle for us to slip back into these moments where, where it is about us, where we take all the glory, where we say, look at my achievements. Look what has happened here. Look at the things that I've done. I find it very interesting, too, that, and I've had these conversations with people. I've heard it time and time again. I've probably been guilty of it, too. You can resonate with it, too. When things don't go right, who's the first person we typically blame besides our husbands and our wives? Isn't it usually God? Why would God do this to me? Why would God allow this? Why would God do this to me? But when something goes really good, why wouldn't it go good? Why wouldn't I have a great job? 
Why wouldn't my investments turn out the way they have? I mean, look, I've done the research. I've done the studying. I've got the education. I've got this. I've got, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't this good thing happen to me? I've put myself in a position for it to happen for me. And sometimes what can happen is we can subtly slide into that mode where we say, where essentially what we're saying is, look at what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. Look at what I've built. I find it very interesting, too, that back to this whole God being the negative part, we being the positive part, right? When something happens bad, it's God's fault, but if it's good, we take the glory. Look what I built. I find it very interesting that even in our insurance policies, like our homeowners, there's that little clause in there that's called the act of God. And isn't that usually due to something that's out of our power, something that negative that happens to us, right? The storm comes through, tree falls over, and it, it destroys our roof, so we turn it in, and it's considered... An act of God, hopefully, if that's what ha- you know what I mean, if your insurance comes through, it's an act of God. Or something like that happens, something negative happens, it's an act of God. You see, when the good things happen, though, it's about me. I've created this. I've created this. Listen to what God says through the prophet Habakkuk in one eleven. He says, speaking of people, then they sweep past like the wind and they go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Again, two things that we need to really pause and reflect upon to make sure that we're not heading down the same path as King Nebuchadnezzar. What is the source of my strength? What is my motivation? The third question is this, what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? Many of us read The Purpose Driven Life. Many of us work through those, you know, kind of those things, which is, which is a good thing. But it's something that some of us are really driven by. You know, what is the purpose of life? For some of us, it's all about happiness, we pursue that happiness as if, you know, it's, it's the end-all, be-all. And when we look back, we see individuals like King Solomon. King Solomon was all about happiness. I mean, his whole life essentially was about searching and pursuing happiness. How can I get more? How can I get more? This isn't enough. I need more. I need more. I need more. God, what you've given me is not enough. I need more. Give me more. I know that if I can just have this or if I can just attain that, then I'll be happy. And so we get into chasing our tails what happens, and we get into this whole concept of pursuit of happiness. King Nebuchadnezzar was the same way. He was all about getting more, getting more, getting more. I think anybody that would have a 600,000 square foot house, not a 6,000 square foot house, a 600,000 square foot house, you could pretty much say this cat is about getting more and more and more, is he not? In fact, he's even noted for his gardens, which is one of the seven wonders of the world, correct? I mean, he was all about pursuing happiness. The kicker is, guys, that the actual pursuit of happiness can actually rob us of what we're seeking after. And for us Americans, and I'm not putting this down, but that's a right of ours, right? That is a right. The pursuit of happiness is a right. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes we could take it a little too far. Because Solomon, at the end of his life, says, this is meaningless. I'm chasing the wind. All of this is meaningless. What means the most is fearing God, knowing that God is God and fearing God. But we get into this concept that if we pursue happiness, if the purpose of our life is to, to be happy, if, the pers- if, the, if, if what life is all about is for me to be happy, that pursuit never ends and it robs us really what we're seeking. We're never satisfied. We have a family in our church here that, that their grandson has the Willie Prager syndrome or the Prager-Willie syndrome. And it's something that is... 
is horrifying. I mean, it's just, it, it's horrible. It's very sad, but it's a gene that makes you feel as if you're never full. Some of you have heard of this. It's a gene that's inside of you that makes you feel as if you're never full, which means you have hunger pains all the time. You're never satisfied. You're, you just constantly eat. We have medication that's helping uh, resolve some of this, but for the most part, it's a very uh, devastating uh, disorder. Uh, it can actually, people can actually eat themselves to death. It's a physical disorder. Some of us have this as a spiritual disorder. We're never satisfied. That's why we're cranky all the time. That's why we're always walking around on our bottom lip all the time is because we have all these externals that if those, that, I could just attain that external or if you would stop doing this or if you would do that. If you, and you have this list and it's like you're chasing your tail, you're chasing your tail. You just keep chasing, chasing, chasing. You know why? Because you really haven't figured out what the purpose of your life is. You're getting caught up in this whole concept that you're entitled to be happy. That doesn't mean you've got to be unhappy. That's not my point. There's a difference between being happy and content. Paul talks about it. But let's face it, guys. For many of us, we get off on this pursuit of happiness. And when I'm not happy, no one else is going to be happy around me. That's not right. And this is the same thing that some of these guys back in the Bible, by the way, dealt with. Let me just share this, guys. I pray and hope that we don't look at this whole story of Daniel like another one of these cool stories that happened in the Bible. And we're like, wow, that's a really cool biblical story. Guys, this stuff happens to us on a daily basis. I think this is the exact reason why God gives us his word, reveals himself to us through these writings of the Bible so that we can look at this and we can say, maybe the pursuit of happiness isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Maybe there's more to it. What is my motivation in living? What is the source of my strength? What's the purpose of my life? Don't end up like King Nebuchadnezzar because he, I mean, at the end of his life, it turned out okay. But he went through some pretty rough times. Daniel comes in, he interprets his dream, and he basically tells the king, hey, king, you're going to live like a beast. You're going to live like a beast. And listen to the courage that Daniel has. Daniel is talking to the king. He's not talking to just someone else, but he's literally talking to the king who the king could rightfully take Daniel's head and just lop it off. But Daniel has this courage. Daniel could have went in and softened the blow and said, metaphorically speaking, uh, king, you have this out here in your yard. And that's, sometimes that's what we want to do because it, it, it softens it and it makes it less offensive. Guys, for some of us, we need to hear the word of God face to face. We need to have someone in our lives that can sit us down and say, hey, you're off. And we need to be okay to hear that. I get that that hurts. I understand that that hurts from time to time. But if you never have someone in your life where you've opened yourself up to, that they can look into your life and say, you're off. And they're not judging you. They're just coming along beside of you spiritually on this journey. And they're saying, you need to wake up. Because if you don't, you're, you're, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. And that's what Daniel was telling King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what he says. He looks to the king, and in verse 27, he says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. I love how he sets that up. Because this advice is not going to be pleasing to hear. Listen to what Daniel says. Be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. That's pretty offensive, isn't it? When's the last time you've sat down with someone and you've allowed someone to lean into your life where they looked at you and said, you need to repent of your sins? Where God used someone 
to say, you're off. And Daniel says, renounce your, your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And then he goes on to say this, here's that message of hope. He, he, you know, it's like God always has this message of hope tied in there, tagged onto it. He says, repent. And he goes on to say, it may be that your prosperity will continue. It just may be that God will continue to bless you. But you need to understand there is a God and you're not him. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He blows it off. How many of us kind of fall in this trap? How many of us can really relate with that? Where someone may come along and we say, you know what? I appreciate what you're saying. I really do. God bless you. I appreciate what you're saying. But this is diff- my situation is different. This really doesn't speak of me. And he blows it off and he basically says, hey, you know what, Daniel? I got you. But the rules don't apply to me here. The consequences are a little bit different. Listen to what happened. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar's dream was what was had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. (laughs) Consequences did apply to you, king. But then something happens. And I love this because it's it's that positive. It's kind of like this Hollywood ending in a sense. That something happens. King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he says, this doesn't apply to me, this doesn't apply to me, the consequences are different, something happens because when this happens, when the dream is fulfilled, when God's reality hits, and all this takes place to King Nebuchadnezzar, at some point he gets it. At some point, he, he sees the meta-narrative crashing down, and he gets it. And what does he do? He repents, and he humbles himself. Listen to what he says in verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my hands toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Talk about a shift in perspective. This is what we would call a paradigm shift. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an external, or I'm sorry, an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He got it. That is a, that's a cool story. Guys, that's one of those stories I read in the Bible and I'm like, I really don't want this happening to me. Right? I don't want this happening to me. So let me ask you a question. If you're sitting in here this morning and this is a little heading a little too close to home and you can kind of relate with this, I want to give you a question and just kind of think about it. The question is this, what will you have to experience for you to get it? If God is coming into your life and he's been trying to get your attention, he's been saying, hey, heads up, heads up, heads up, heads up. You know what? That doesn't apply to me. What is it going to take for him to for you for you to experience for, for you for, for him to get your attention? And guys, you may be sitting in there this morning and you've started down this subtle path, and at some point God got your attention before it came to that, and you're like, Thank God that I grabbed a hold of his grace. 
And I grabbed a hold of his, his messaging, you know, and I, and I finally grabbed a hold of it to, to where I didn't have to reach the end of my rope. For some reason, we as humans, it's like we, at times, we have to be literally kicked in the teeth before we say, this isn't cool. This isn't cool. And I've heard statements from people I've said it myself. You've said it yourself. These will resonate with you because you've heard it. You've said it. You've thought it. Things like this. I wish it wouldn't have taken this for me to finally get it. I wish it wouldn't have taken this many years for me to finally understand what God has been trying to communicate to me. I wish it wouldn't have taken me losing my family for me to finally understand. I wish it wouldn't have taken me losing my children, for me losing my marriage, for me losing my business, my friends, losing everything, this tragedy, whatever it is, fill in the blank. When we reach that point or have reached that point or even thought of this, we step back and we say, why, 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 why? God was constantly trying to get my attention. God was constantly sending people into my life. God was always trying to grab a hold of me with His grace. Why did I have to get to this point before I finally grabbed a hold of this message? Maybe you're sitting in here this morning and this is screaming at you. I'm just asking, would you please stop? And humble yourself before God and let God save you. Let God grab a hold of you. You may already have a relationship with God. The times though, it's, it's, I want to tell you something. If someone sitting in here would look at me and say, you know what, I've got this figured out. I've never, ever, ever, once I accepted Christ, I've never, ever, ever, ever struggled with allowing him to sit on the throne of my heart. Would you please come and talk to me because you've got something that I need to know. Because I think this is the human struggle that we're going to have until we see Christ face to face. That's what I think. I think that's what the Bible teaches, unfortunately. It's like what we talked about last week. It's the here and the now, or the now and the then, right? We've got the power, and God's going to restore everything at one point where we don't have to deal with it, but we're still living in a fallen world. I'm still living in this, this shell that wants to go its way. That's still satur- that can still be tempted by sin. Paul writes about it. I don't understand why I do the things that I do. It's the things that I don't want to do that I do. And he gets into that whole do-do thing, right? And we read that, and to be honest with you, it brings great encouragement because we're like, okay, this guy got it, and yet he struggled. Thank goodness. But maybe today's the day you hear this and you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what? I can relate with King Nebuchadnezzar and I really don't want my teeth kicked in before God can get my attention. Guys, I'm not preaching a message where God is going to send a lightning bolt down into your life and, and, just, and again, back to that negative thing. Well, this negative thing happened, so it was God. Maybe God's using that to get your attention. But here's a thought. Why don't we not get to that point? You know? I don't know where you're at. Maybe this morning, this is the first time that your heart's really heard this. This is the first time you've had the op- you've had ears to hear. And maybe God's really connecting with you. Maybe today's the day you're going to say, "I'm done with this. I want God to be at the center of my life. I'm not. I'm not God, and I'm going to let God be God." Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You have a relationship with God, but truth be known, He's not sitting on the throne of your heart. You're in control. 
you're playing God. Maybe today's the day you say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done. I want to live a life that has meaning and significance and not this constant chasing of my tail. I pray that you would just think about these questions as we close with one more song. We're going to close out with one more song. And I pray that you would use this time to just lean into God and allow God to just captivate your heart. Guys, if you're sitting in here this morning and this message is real because you you had this epiphany happen a while back ago, and this morning you're in here praising God because you're like, thank goodness I grabbed a hold of His grace when I did. Would you please spend some time in prayer in your heart because there's others that are still struggling with this. So would you please lift up this time and not allow, pray that Satan would not allow uh, to have any presence in this room whatsoever right now. Let me pray as, before we sing this last song. Father, I thank you so much for your word, even though this is a challenging message. I humbly confess to you that I struggle with this, wanting to sit on the throne of my heart. And I pray for others that this, me- with the, 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 that this message hits. When it hits home, I pray that they would respond to it as well. God, I pray that they would surrender. For some, I pray that it's, it's going to be their first time repenting and that they would, they're going to turn and they're going to find you standing there with your arms wide open. Welcoming, welcoming them home and into your family. I pray that you give them the courage to do that, to let go and to give you control. God, for those in here that have a relationship with you, but truth be known, we're sitting on the thrones of our hearts. Would you please just grab a hold of us and not let us get, a, not let us continue down that path any longer. But God, may this be a time where we would let go again and just turn to you and, and, and give you back your throne, your rightful throne of our hearts. Wherever you find us, God, would you please just use your spirit to connect with us. Give us the courage to respond the way you want us to respond, God. And we give all this to you through the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.